Welcome to the Future Engineering Club podcast. My name is Jack Lomas and join me as I speak to some of the brightest minds in the built environment, hearing firsthand their experience building the future of our planet. Over the last few episodes, you've heard from startup founders, investors, as well as asset owners. So for this week, I wanted to mix things up and give you a glimpse into the world of what's happening in our industry at a policy level. And who better to take you through this than Melissa Zanocco of the Infrastructure Client Group. Melissa Zanocco, OBE, is head of programs for the Infrastructure Client Group, as well as one of the instigators of our vision for the built environment, and is committed to transforming the built environment sector to produce better outcomes for people and nature. She is co-chair of both the Project 13 Adopter Community and the Digital Twin Hub Community Council, as well as a member of the United Nations Industrial Development Organization's Deep Decarbonization Initiative, World Economic Forum Digital Twin Cities Project Global Advisory Committee, and Construction Leadership Council Task Force. She was part of the UN Women UK delegation to the 67th session of the Commission of the Status of Women 2022. Melissa is a true expert in the field and spends the entirety of her working time talking to the C-suite of the UK's largest infrastructure companies, giving her a fascinating insight into what the future of our industry looks like. One quick point before I pass over to Melissa. If I may ask a favour, If you enjoy this episode, please consider giving it a share on LinkedIn and a follow on Spotify, as it really helped promote our conversation to others who might find it helpful. Now, let's pass over to Melissa. So I am head of programs for the infrastructure client group, and that's made up of 80 of the leading economic infrastructure clients in the UK. It basically means that we've got our built environment in the room. So we've got transport, water, energy, nuclear, and broadband. And the power of the ICG is that it's at C3 level. So we affectionately call it a homework sharing club, but it's a homework sharing uh, amongst people who can really bring about action within their organization. And I'm also one of the instigators of our vision for the built environment, which was published in April of 2021. Nice. A vision for the built environment. What's that? So that is very relevant to the such Fire Group as well. During COVID, we saw that everybody was making strategies, they were making plans, they were making roadmaps. Everyone was very panicked, you probably remember that period well. And what we felt was missing was a North Star, or well, let's call it the lighthouse on the hill, so that everybody was looking in the same direction, so that they could all carry on doing what they were doing, but so that we all ended up in the same place. And what we also saw was that there is no body across the built environment. So we have bodies for infrastructure, we have bodies for um, construction, we have bodies for buildings and social infrastructure, and we've got bodies for digital, for investors, for finances, for insurers, but we don't have one body where we can talk as the built environment. So what we did was, was to bring all of those representative bodies, that represented all the different parts together to agree the vision. And um, really the, the purpose of it was that at the moment we're really focused on building new things and on construction productivity, but actually there's 99.5% of our structures already been built. And so we also really need to be focusing on the performance of the infrastructure, getting the best out of what's already there. So the vision for the built environment that we came up with together is that the purpose of the built environment is to enable people and nature to flourish together for generations. And it's sort of breaking that down into parts is that I've mentioned already a few times that if you see that the environment is a system of systems. And what I mean by that is that you've got economic infrastructure and social infrastructure, and they're inexplicably linked, even though we um, treat them separately at the moment. And then you've got nature. 
and it's made up of all types of systems, including ecosystem services, and it's inextricably linked. And then you've got those built systems sitting in the natural systems, and they're inextricably linked. So together, we call that the, the system of systems. But what we were trying to get people to see was beyond that, Jim, was to see that it's actually the services that the system provides. So what we really want is so we want education rather than a school. We want healthcare rather than a hospital. We need to get from A to B rather than a bridge. And so we're trying to get people to look at that. So when you're looking to achieve outcomes, like what, what is it that you're actually trying to do? But then if you take that next step up is if you take that further, who are the services for and why do we need them? And the answer is, is, is to have better outcomes for people and nature. And the reason nature is because if we don't have better outcomes for nature, then we don't have better outcomes for people. So everyone was very explicit that we needed to separate that out. It wasn't inherited. It wasn't, we shouldn't just think of it as obvious. And then with those outcomes, there's not just outcomes at that project and program level. That's what everybody tends to concentrate on. But there are also community outcomes. And then there are national outcomes, like things like levelling up or net zero by 2050, all like global outcomes, like the UN Sustainable Development Goal. And what we're trying to get people to look at again is, is how does what you're doing help to achieve those UN Sustainable Development Goals? So you're not just thinking at that project and programme level, but thinking through all those layers. The idea of focusing on outcomes rather than requirements and everything else, it makes such complete sense. So what does this look like in terms of, say, specific initiatives? And what does this mean in reality for, for the built environment? Yes, yeah, so a really practical demonstration of, of how to put our vision into practice would be Project 13. And that is part of the Infrastructure Library program. So I said in the beginning, I'm head of programs. And, and that program is focused on the levers that we think will bring about the biggest transformation to the industry. And one of those levers is how we deliver infrastructure. And, and there's a delivery model. Project 13 is an enterprise delivery model. And it is based on achieving outcomes. And that's, as I say, the practical implementation of our vision, but also of transforming infrastructure performance. So there's the construction playbook government. There's our vision that I've talked about. And both of those have been translated into policy in transforming infrastructure performance. And it talks about, as well as all the systems, the systems that I spoke about, it talks about can we optimize or modify before building something? And again, Project 13 is a model that allows you to consider that before you actually start to build something. So how it works is that everyone is incentivized around achieving the outcomes. So not around scope or cost. And that means they can first consider, well, can we get this outcome without you know, building anything and et cetera, and going through all that process. And we've actually already got Project 13 adopters that are putting those principles into practice on projects and programs in the UK and in other parts of the world. So Project 13 is based on five pillars. One of the pillars is organization. And that is because the, the new approach to delivering the infrastructure is that you've got a, a capable owner. So we don't talk about a client. We talk about a capable owner because we're trying to get people to think and behave differently. They articulate the outcome. And then rather than going to market with a solution already decided and saying, who can give us a solution for the cheapest? They go to the market and they procure them for the capability to achieve that outcome. And there's not going to be any one organization or one person that will have all the capabilities needed to achieve that outcome. So the organization pillar of Project 13 is how do you bring these parties? There's usually around three to six organizations in an integrator. How do you bring them together so that they can work together as a high-performing team? So that's the organization part. It's just based on you can't throw everybody in a room together and help to collaborate and then we'll write it in a contract and then everybody will. 
It's about it's about building that. And that obviously needs governance because you're now talking about almost a new organization just for this project or program, this enterprise. So that needs the governance to make that collaboration happen. The third pillar is integration. And that's sort of about integration of people. That's now integration of we assembling things like Lego brick. So we want sort of construction to look more like a manufacturing production line. And again, that doesn't happen on its own. So you don't throw people in a room together and say, right, we want, you know, a production line. So again, you need to consciously be managing that integration to get that, the, the platform delivery. So those are the three core pillars. And then round the outside, there's the capable owner. And I've spoken about this already. Their job is to articulate the outcome. And the more mature the capable owner, the more they can articulate them right up to that UN sustainable goal level that I was talking about. And they will drive the pace of change of the enterprise. So however mature the capable owner is, that's how mature the enterprise will be. And that's also to do with their views on already. And, and then the other one, like running kind of around the outside and, and driving the speed and pace of change is digital transformation. So the further they are advanced, not just the capable owner, but all the parties in the integrator, uh, the further they are on the digital transformation, the faster and, and the more high-performing the enterprise will be able to be. So I, I pause there. I can completely see this, this coming into play for, for the major clients, or, or should I say capable owners. At what we typically or traditionally view at a framework level, which I'm sure the major suppliers, the consultants, contractors, et cetera, will be quick to snap up. There'll be lots of startup founders listening that will be wondering how they can get involved in this. What would you say this route looks like? Well, so the, the idea is that with this integrator role, they get much more of a look in. It's, it's really supposed to, the, the, one of our outcomes for Project 13 is to create a more sustainable industry. And what we mean by that is that people are paid fair price for what they do and have fair margins so that they can then invest in their people, which also helps with well-being. And then they can also invest in their innovation and invest in their digital transformation. And so because what we want them to do, what they're being incentivized to do is come up with better solutions. So, so the competition in Project 13 is around better ideas and you know, better capabilities. So if you're an SME, if you invented something or, or you're a, a critical part of achieving that outcome, you could either, you know, be in the integrator or be much higher up in, in what a traditional supply chain. We, we talk about a supply ecosystem, like the cable owner, which I've changed the way we think, but you'd be much higher up in it because you're now judged on how are you helping, you know, to, to get the, to achieve the outcome, to bring a solution, to be a problem solver. So I'd say there's more opportunities for SMEs to be involved. So thinking about that idea of the, of the supply ecosystem, and I know this is a theme that we've seen a lot of the major suppliers very much invest heavily in, for example, Mott McDonald very much establishing a, a partnership ecosystem around themselves, which then ultimately benefits everyone. For startups trying to engage some of these major companies with a view to getting involved in, in the, these integration roles, sometimes they feel that there's pushback from the, the major companies around the, the build it internally approach versus source the capabilities externally. What sort of advice would you give some of these startups, SMEs, et cetera, in trying to sort of break into these ecosystems? So I think that, as I say, with Project NLT, it is about the, the best solution. So what, it, what I would say it's about is not necessarily accepting if somebody comes to you with a solution and saying, can you do this? It's, it's always, you know, keeping that dialogue open and saying, but just to let you know, I've got this solution as well. Or have you thought about it from this angle? That, 
that's what you're trying to do. And also the higher up you can go. So so the good thing about Project 13 is is that it's it's quite a flat hierarchy. So there's not this where you can't speak to somebody higher up in the chain. It's you've got more access to, to all the different levels. And the Cape Bologna will be actively looking for these solutions. Also, it should drive those in the rest of the spire ecosystem to be looking for them as well. Because what you're trying to do in Project 13 is make the pie bigger, is the way that we describe it. So because for instance, what you want to do is, you know you've got this cost, but if you manage to do it for less, everybody gets the bigger slice of the pie. Traditionally, everyone's trying to make their slice bigger. In Project 13, everyone's trying to make the pie bigger so everyone gets it. So it's in their interest to be scouting and looking around and saying, who's doing what? going on out there, who's got a solution that can help us do this quicker, faster, more efficiently, more cheaply, etc. I, I think the theme of procuring outcomes is, is really interesting. And I know that with the increased focus on net zero at minutes across client, what does this look like in terms of industry movements and, and initiatives? Are, are we doing enough? So the way that I see that the world or the problems is I think that there are four, well, it's called three. Global systemic challenges. And by systemic, I mean that there's, if you do an intervention in one part of the system, you could actually make things worse in a different part. So, so you have to understand it across the whole system. And by global, I mean that you, you can't necessarily resolve it at the national level, because again, part of that system might be some in another country. So when I, so, and I think they are, and the reason I said three or four is because climate change, I think it's into two. So you've got mitigation and that's to try and stop it. And then you've got resilience, which is even with us trying to stop it, we know we've got, we're going to have consequences that we need to be having resilient infrastructure. The other is the biodiversity loss and the other is infrastructure and sort of making sure that everybody's got equal access to the things they need for, for uh, to flourish. And the thing that I see sitting that I think would have the most benefit across all of them is the transition to a circular economy. They all biodiversity, you know, usually reduces carbon, et cetera, et cetera. But the one that I think has the biggest impact across all of them is transitioning to a circular economy. And with that, I'm not talking about recycling. So a lot of people think circular economy just means to recycle um, or, or waste management. I mean, at the moment, we see nature as a resource. So that's where we think oh, we need to get virgin materials, we go to nature and it gives us to them. And then they see the built environment, as I was describing it, that the services that come from built environments, so we want education, we need a school, we want it, et cetera. What we need to do is change that so that we see that nature is also a service. So I talked about things like ecosystem services. It's something now that people are starting to realise that's an absolutely critical lifestyle service. And so we need to recognise that nature gives us services. And then we need to recognise that we've built in the UK 99.5% of our infrastructure already. We're only adding 0.5 each year. So the built environment is actually a source of resources for us. And we should start to look at it like that. And then the other part of it is that I think that we need new economic models so that don't use GDP as the main measure. And so I'm thinking of things like donut economics with Kate Rayworth. And there's also something called the Wellbeing Economy Alliance which is New Zealand, Finland, Canada, Wales, Scotland, and Iceland. And, and they're also using a living standards framework. It's a different way of, of judging rather than using GDP. This idea of a circular flow is, is fascinating. And I'd really like to dive into it in a little bit more detail, just to so everyone can really get their heads around it, if you don't mind. So in terms of the mitigation, the resilience, et cetera, 
So we see the, the decarbonization of, of industry at the minute. We see the migration into clean fuels with hydrogen and the industrial hydrogen clusters. How do these low carbon initiatives fit into that circular flow? So they're, they're all together. Actually, it goes back to two five stages. It's kind of optimize, modify, or, or construct. We're trying to find the most efficient way of doing things. And it's like saying as well with things like modern methods of construction, it's not about picking one of them and thinking that that is the answer. It's about saying, what outcome are we trying to achieve and how can I achieve that? So when you're, if you are constructing something new, it's like, can you use nature-based solutions? And what's your, as you were talking about, what's your energy going to be? Can you use decarbonized concrete, et cetera, et cetera? It's going to be a, a combination of all of those things that you need to take into consideration. But I think the reason I was talking about sector economy is because I think it will, there'll be new, I've talked about economic models, there'll be new business models, that's new things like Project 13, there'll be new procurement models. And so I think they will make it easier for the other things that you, the things you listed. At the moment, everything feels a little bit like an add-on and it feels a little bit like a checklist. If you're looking at the outcome and trying to find the best solution, what's the best way that will ensure that people and nature flourish, that I can get this outcome? And organizations like Anglia Water showed that if you cut carbon, you cut cost. So rather than the kind of eye rolling of, oh, I have to try and fit this in as well. It's like, well, actually, have you looked at whether this will save you money? Like if you're not using virgin materials in a period when there's so much inflation, then actually maybe it's going to be cheaper. And, and have you thought about that option? And I think that's a really good example that you picked because we're seeing a lot of the, the design, the infrastructure design market move towards automated design using generative AI technology. And I think a lot of the players in this market have found that in fact, using automation for the design or of linear infrastructure does save cost and saves carbon and ultimately is, is beneficial all around. So I, I think that's a really important point. An interesting point that you've picked up on. Yes, I think, and I think that's just a student's approach as well. And I think that goes into leadership in that, and we need leaders who could see, you know, see in a systems way and sort of what are called boundary spanning leadership, where you see yourself as part of that bigger system and everything that you're doing and your organization or your enterprise is doing, you're seeing how does that fit in with the things around you? And that's a very, very different way of operating to the way we operate at the moment. And Melissa, just to finish up, so looking ahead into the future, what are you most excited about? Great question. Thank you. Thank you for asking me that. So, so as I said, at the moment, my areas of focus are the Project 13, which you know, creates that enabling environment. It's digital transformation and it's carbon. But what I see is the future and where I think Project 13 is leading is to what I would call place-based decision-making, which is where you, for example, let's say it was a, a, a hospital. Rather than building hospital, you say, how do I get house outcome for this community? And if you look at it like that, you might not actually end up building hospital. But we don't necessarily have all the funding processes and, and bodies in place to, to, to think and, and behave in that way. So I think rather than Project 13, I would I'd say place-based decision-making. I've already talked about sector economy as opposed to carbon, which I think is quite limited. Just really. And then rather than digital transformation, I think I would say cyber-physical infrastructure. And the thing probably I'm most excited about here out of those is that within cyber physical infrastructure, you've got connected digital twins. And I think they're going to be a massive enabler across all of those things. 
So with the circular economy, we need to have an audit of all the materials that are already in the built environment, so already in the assets we have. But we also need to know their condition. Uh, and that's kind of the kind of thing that digital twins can do. When I said about having a systems view and, and it kind of, your mind boggles a little bit and you think, oh, how, how am I going to do that? Connect to the digital twins. Yeah, they'll show you the interdependencies. So, so that's one of the things that I think will be a massive enabler and very excited about that area. Amazing. And what a point to finish on digital twins, the theme that we all know and love. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And I'll, I'll see you soon. Thank you very much. It's great fun. You've been listening to the Future Engineering Club podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I really hope you found it interesting. And with that, I'll leave you to it. Stay tuned for next week's episode, where we'll be joined by Greg Lawton, co-founder and CEO of Nodes and Links, project intelligence platform in use across HS2 and backed by some of the industry's biggest VC investors. Thanks and goodbye.